You're listening to Earshot from WXXI News. I'm Veronica Volk. This week, assassins, flames, and hats? They're all part of an unexpected history of one Rochester landmark. So, (laughs) this is going to get a bit complicated. And inside a first-grade classroom, we hear how teachers are coping with our new normal. It's been kind of crazy. All that from your local news podcast, Earshot. Support for Earshot from WXXI News is provided by Rock Vox Recording and Production, presenting Legacy Cast, audio and video recordings of loved ones telling their stories for posterity, produced in a full-service studio located in Bushnell's Basin. More at rocvox.com. Rochester's Liberty Pole is more than just a piece of art downtown. And I don't want to give too much away here, but it has a long history that's pretty surprising. My colleague James Brown dug into it. He has this story. When I was a kid, I lost a glove on the McCurdy's department store escalator downtown. I was maybe nine and my mom was angry. We were late for our bus and I wouldn't stop talking. We made it. Barely. After we got on the bus, I remember seeing this giant metal pole on the corner of East Main and Franklin and wondering, what is that thing? A couple decades later, I learned its roots are ancient. Involve hats. So, (laughs) this is going to get a bit complicated. That's University of Rochester Classics professor Cameron Hawkins. He says the idea draws on concepts from the late Roman Empire, including a liberty cap. There was a soft felt cap called a Peleus, and that's usually spelt P-I-L-L-E-U-S, although sometimes it's only got one L in it. It varies a little bit. He said the Peleus had a deeper meaning in the Roman Empire era. Former slaves who had been set free would wear that felt cap. Um, So the big moment was at the funeral of their former master. Hawkins says the cap was minted on coins to commemorate one of the biggest moments in the empire's history the assassination of Julius Caesar in 44 BC. A Greek author named Oppian described what the assassins did next. And they went up to the capital in Rome, and they were carrying a spear that somebody had stuck one of those caps on to symbolize that they had just killed the tyrant and restored freedom to the Roman people. Over the centuries, artifacts and ideas from the era endured. They were reinterpreted for new generations as liberty poles in Europe, in the New World. They became places to gather, or celebrate, or protest. Rochester got its first Liberty Pole in 1849, quite close to where it stands today. City historian Christine Radarski says it didn't last long. Unfortunately, it was wood, and it was weakened by the elements, so it was chopped down 13 years later. A new one was soon built, and Radarski says it became a focal point for the city's Civil War effort. It lasted about three decades, but in the end... Wind toppled it a few days after Christmas in 1889. It would take the city 70 years to replace it. The 190-foot-tall stainless steel pole that we know today was designed and built in the 1960s as part of an urban renewal project. Rudarski says the design was sunken and included a fountain. She also says the monument had gas lines and was expected to shoot out flames in the winter. It didn't quite work out. Instead... They built a platform around it. 
Radarski says it had mixed reviews. They felt that there was a need for more park space, open space in downtown. And then there were people who just thought it was downright ugly. <laughs> Despite all that, Radarski said it became more than just a poll over the years. A lot of people in Rochester remember the Liberty Pole, either from being downtown in recent years waiting for the bus and, you know, seeing the structure there, or from attending holiday celebrations around the Liberty Pole. Holiday celebrations started in the 1970s with Liberty Pole lightings and kids visiting Santa at nearby Midtown Plaza. Eventually, the lighting stopped, but natives like Bob Duffy remembered. We would take the 10 Dewey bus downtown, uh, get off, and it was like a winter wonderland. As a small child, it was just great. When Duffy became mayor in 2006, he says he was determined to bring back the tradition. In the decade and a half since, the Richards and Warren administrations kept the tradition alive, eventually connecting it to a month-long holiday village on Broad Street. After stopping for a year due to the COVID-19 pandemic, it resumed this month. Hundreds of Rochesterians spent a blustery Saturday night watching the lighting, then marching through the streets with Santa, drag queen Kasha Davis, and jazz band Primetime Bass. James Brown is a reporter for WXXI News. Hi, this is Evan Dawson from WXXI, and if you're enjoying Earshot, then you'll want to subscribe to our other podcast, Connections with Evan Dawson, that's me. On the podcast, you can catch up on discussions about current events, arts, politics, and interesting people. Subscribe to Connections with Evan Dawson, where you subscribe to Earshot from WXXI News. All of us have been affected in some way by the coronavirus pandemic and the shutdowns to office buildings, retail businesses, countless social experiences, and schools. For instance, first graders have never experienced a normal school year. Educators say this has taken a toll on their academic and emotional growth. Amy Feireisel is a reporter for North Country Public Radio. She visited a classroom in northern New York, to get a better idea about how students and teachers are doing. She has this story. All right, so today we are on lesson six in our math book. And today's our Jessica Quimby is trying to teach a math lesson. She's at the front of the classroom on a big, colorful rug where all her students are supposed to sit. Number strip right number in line. A couple of them are sitting, but many more are running around the room, crawling under desks and tables. One is trying to get the attention of his friend by hitting him with a book. Quimby, who has been teaching at Salmon River Elementary School for four years now, says this is the new normal. Overall, they have very little stamina to get anything done, so that's been a huge adjustment for us. I haven't been able to teach as much as I would have by this point in the school year. She says some of her students are still at a pre-K level, academically and emotionally. The levels are just so vast in my room that it's been kind of a, a hard time getting like the whole group instruction going and being successful with it. Quimby says she can really feel the impact of the pandemic on her students. They spent a lot less time in pre-K and kindergarten than they normally would have. 
some of them have never been in school before because they chose remote or they just were homeschooled before because of the pandemic. They didn't get as much socializing. The first few years of school are about learning to play with others, getting used to the most basic parts of school, walking in a line, raising your hand, watching the teacher. Quimby's students didn't have that, and she's seeing it in the way the kids are behaving. It's been kind of crazy, like running around the room, like they're fighting with each other. Dealing with the emotional needs of her students is having an emotional toll on Quimby too. The first time we met, just a month into the school year, I asked how she was doing. Um, I am tired. I'm feeling like I normally would at the end of a school year, at the beginning of a school year, which is kind of scary. Because how are you gonna get to the end of the school year? Yeah. How am I, how am I going to sustain this? For the next seven months. Yeah. Sorry. No, let's take a moment. (laughs) I've said it a few times in like meetings too, where I'm like, I just, I can't do it at this pace. She's not alone. Many teachers at every grade level say the COVID-19 pandemic has left them drained. Across the region, schools are having to make big readjustments. Many have created new support programs and positions. Salmon River hired Melissa Cross to deal with a sharp rise in emotional and mental issues in students. She's who Jessica Quimby calls when a fight or a tantrum escalates. If it's a high-level meltdown, uh, I usually go up to the classroom. Um, The principal usually assists me. We are able to normally talk the kid down into, let's go for a walk. Instead of detention or in-school suspension, kids go to Cross's room. It's away from everybody so they can have their outburst. Once they calm down, then we can start walking through different steps. Sometimes a student just needs to talk. Some will do yoga or breathing exercises with Cross. They'll talk about how to manage feeling overwhelmed or sad or angry. The pandemic's toll on kids is a national phenomenon. The U.S. Surgeon General, Dr. Vivek Murthy, recently issued an advisory saying that children's mental health has reached crisis levels. Here he is speaking with NPR. This was a challenge before. The challenge has gotten worse. And I believe that this is a a critical issue that we have to do something about now. We can't wait until after the pandemic is over. Melissa Cross at Salmon River is seeing the crisis play out in real time. It's been happening a lot more than in the past. Between three and five times a week, we have what we call our heavy hitters. Angry, throwing fists, throwing chairs, destroying the classroom. Cross says most of her cases are in the younger grades, and that's been echoed by other elementary principals across the region. Cross says she works with a lot of first graders. They are really overwhelmed by what's being asked of them. So now you're expecting them in a first grade classroom to sit all day through instruction, no nap, no, you know, stuff that they're used to in kindergarten with only a three hour day. Now, if you talk to first graders, they won't tell you they're traumatized. When I asked how school was going, I got a lot of one-word responses about recess and lunch. They all said they liked school. They thought masks were annoying. But there are hints of the pressure these kids are feeling. And then the most hardest thing is to be in school so long. (laughs) But it's really fun. Fun but long, says first grader Mia Wiley. Isaiah Seymour said that sometimes it can be hard to focus in class. You just need to listen to her. Why, why does it get hard to listen? Because all kids are talking. 
Isaiah knows his classroom is a little chaotic, but he doesn't know the difference between it and a pre-pandemic classroom. But his teachers and guidance counselors and principals do, and they've had to change expectations. So Salmon River Elementary Principal Ben Barkley. So I had grand intentions of getting completely back to normal. And what I realized is that before you can get into the instruction, you have to get those rituals and routines in place. Once you have the social emotional component in place, then it's much easier to provide instruction. Our younger students really are struggling with that, but we'll get there in time. Some of the changes they've made this fall, the younger grades are getting extra recess time and more class breaks. Social and emotional needs are the priority, less so how to add three and six. And that first grade teacher, Jessica Quimby, says her students are making progress day by day. And despite all the difficulties, she still loves teaching these kids. I absolutely love first grade. I really can't imagine doing anything else. It's just, I think it's the best fit for me. And so they're lower, which is okay and manageable. I'm okay with that. Adjustments are being made in every school and at every grade level because the world that students and teachers are living in has changed. Amy Feireisel is a reporter for North Country Public Radio, and she leads their North Country at Work project. You can see more of their stuff at northcountrypublicradio.org. And that's it for Earshot. If you like what you heard and you haven't already, subscribe to the podcast and leave us a review. Find even more local news on our website, wxxinews.org. Music this week from Blue Dot Sessions and Poddington Bear. I'm Veronica Volk. Earshot is off next week. Have a great new year and we'll see you in 2022. This program is a production of member-supported WXXI Public Broadcasting, Rochester, New York.